Welcome to another episode of Not Investment Advice. We've got the NIA boys in the place. We've got Fiat Fan, aka me, Master Flex himself, or ex Fiat Fan, no longer. He's he's more in the crypto world than me nowadays. And that, I've been converted, he's son. Sailored, fully sailored. And then we've got our boy Jack Butcher, founder of Visualized Value. Um, and I'm Bilal Zaidi. So, boys, let's talk about what we're, we're going to cover today straight off the bat. We've got this ENS token airdrop which is basically the Web3 Stimmy check. And we're going to talk about what that was, what ENS is, how it differs t- from what was there before DNS for the web, etc. Then we've got some fun fact fan coming. Uh, we're going to talk about Elon Musk and why he's really selling his stock. There was a bit of controversy with that in the last week. Um, and then if we get to it, we're going to talk about the genius of Costco and Jack's love for Costco. So let's talk about uh, ENS, boys, <laughs> because... This is something I listened to a two hour podcast and Jack said, yeah, they were talking about too many technical things. It should just be summarized. So Jack. Okay. Well, go, what go does on. ENS yeah, mean? Let's start, let's start from the very beginning. What is ENS? The acronym yeah. is Ethereum Name Service. Okay. The, I think the most basic explanation of it is uh, like transfer, transferable native Ethereum domains. So if you're on Twitter, you've seen people with .eth as the suffix to their username, right? And what it makes possible is instead of you typing out that like 90 character Ethereum 0x1FB92XYZ, you, put, you can purchase uh, an ENS domain and then tie it to an Ethereum address. And then you can essentially shorthand transfers. So if I wanted to send, you know, an NFT to Bilal and he had Bilal.eth, instead of writing in or pasting that crazy ass address, I just put Bilal.eth, bang, you can make transfers, you can send money, whatever. I think that now works. Um, you can host sites on your um, .eth as well. So I think Vitalik has that working now. So if you just do like Vitalik.eth forward slash, I think in a browser, It'll take you to a site. So I think really simply put, it's like the evolution of DNS, but it's like a crypto native domain and it makes additional things possible. And one other, I think, nuance to it is like they're tradable in the same way an NFT is on OpenSea. So when you buy it, it actually issues you an NFT and then you essentially just configure the NFT to have a relationship to uh, an Ethereum address. So I think Budweiser bought beer.eth for, yeah, for someone bought one. it obviously firsthand Yo. and then they sold it to them for 30 Ethereum on the secondary market. So it's like a way more fast and liquid domain market. Obviously we know our boy, Michael Saylor got me like obsessed with the idea of scarce digital real estate and domains and this is like, you know, almost a more extreme version of that, right? Because there's a, there's a liquid marketplace for these names. Um, just, is that a fair explanation? Yeah, think? I think I was going to say that's a great explanation. I was just going to add on top of that, like the DNS, because forget the acronyms. I hate acronyms. DNS, for, again, forget what it even stands for. But when you, me and you or Trung go and buy TrungFiatFan.com, Right, like you go to GoDaddy, Namecheap, or whatever, yep. and you go and you buy the domain. You check they they basically connect to a central database, 
and uh, they see if it's available. If it's available, you pay like $10 and you get it. If not, there are also secondary marketplaces like Cedo and others where you can go and like bid on these things as well. Um, and and a lot of people don't know this, but essentially, and again, I'm not that technical, but just from my understanding, like back in the day, like there was a, um, like a, a domain name is essentially just a vanity URL for like a long string of numbers as well. But like, there's mm-hmm. like a, I don't know. If, oh, there's like an internet equivalent, is what you're saying. Like, yeah, the yeah, exactly. Yeah, the yeah. address is like one nine two. What I don't, I don't know what whatever it is dot whatever. Oh, like the i like the IP address or whatever. Yeah, right? exactly. Like, oh, okay, I, I see what you're like saying, that. man. Yeah, yeah. And it's the same way. An Ethereum address is like exactly what you described. That night character or whatever long string that we're always fumbling around with our ledger, worried it's, the money's going into the to the unit to the ether. Um, so it's a similar thing there, and you'll see, like you said, a lot of people on Twitter and other places will say bzady.eth which is mine uh, jackbutcher.eth etc and but this is being mediated by the ethereum foundation is like this is what gives it legitimacy is this correct i don't know if it's the ethereum foundation i think they're independent of them from my understanding but it's built on the ethereum okay. blockchain i believe and yeah. people have like converged on this as the okay. like single issuer of these things because that's where my technical knowledge fails me is like what makes them the like ultimate purveyor of this stuff but they are right for whatever you know for all intents and purposes they are see but that yeah that is the question right it's like what is giving them the authority here so hold on a second you guys keep talking i want to find out yeah so i guess it's the same way um yeah so yeah trying's gonna do the research now while, while we're while we're talking but basically um from my understanding, like what you just said there, where Vitalik has got Vitalik.eth and it goes to a website, that was actually a part of the ENS, you know, uh, development on their roadmap was a DNS integration. So that was that was a part of that. So they said, we've got this one database essentially that runs on Ethereum blockchain and there's this other database that runs, you know, all the domains. We're going to do an integration for them to work together. And now going forward, they've they actually talked a little bit about their roadmap and some of the things they're going to be doing um, to keep like building on what they've already done. Um, but the reason it was noteworthy in the last like week is they did this airdrop, right? So they basically launched the DAO, which we've talked about on the on the show before, a decentralized autonomous organization. And um, as they've launched the DAO, um, they have, they issued these tokens basically. And they were very clear to say, this isn't going to VCs or investors. This is going to three different parties. And from my memory was like the community, the DAO itself, which was like 50% of it, which is kind of everyone who's involved, including us who use it. Then 25% went to users like you and I, who, you know, registered that and are using it uh, in their address. And then I think the other 25% were contributors. And that was everyone from like the core team to people who translated stuff for them back in the day. Um, but why people listen to this should care is, first of all, only I think 35 to 50% of people have done their claim so far so you can actually go uh, we can share it in the show notes like the official tweet there's a website where you can go if you've got one of these eth names you go through to the site and you can claim these tokens and i when you said you sent this to us in a text message and i was like okay this is gonna be one of those things it's like 200 dollars worth and i'm gonna pay 100 dollars in gas fees but it was not it was like 
$10,000 or pl plus for a lot of people. So wait, hold on. You have $10,000 worth of ENS. To what, what is the token called? ENS. ENS. Okay, token. so you, and does it trade on any of the exchanges or anything like that right now? Yeah, it's on like the decentralized ones like Uniswap and uh, Okay, Sushiswap. so hold on a second. So you guys are just giving these tokens five figures, like they're worth five figures. They, uh, and presumably, based on every other random asset that Jack Butcher slash Jack Kramer has brought up on this show. <laughs> so in three months, would you be shocked if this is worth $100,000, not investment advice? I wouldn't, no. No, yeah, same. <laughs> so... Hold on a second. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, hold on. Let me, okay, back it up. I actually think I remember you guys were buying these ENSs earlier in the show, right? Like episode like four, five, or six. Is this correct? Like, I don't know if we talked about it. Uh, we talked about it. We were buying the dot .BTC. Oh, yeah, okay, okay, okay. That's different. Yeah, yeah. All right. So, okay. I so think I had one of these at around the same time or just before that. Yeah. Okay. So how much did you spend on uh, .eth uh Site or whatever the, the whatever this thing is, Ian. Is, how much have you spent? Probably, I probably spent a thousand bucks all in, maybe. But for like ten years to register for ten years, got, yeah, for ten years, right? But like for me, I did it maybe for five years. I, I can't remember, and I just have one. I just have my own name. Okay, and how much did you? Spend it's probably on like a hundred or two hundred dollars. I'm not sure, like including and gas then fees. you and you have. 10 G's worth now of ENS. It's, it's actually worth more now because the price went up, right? And again, so my personal opinion, and we talked about this, is like, uh, well, let's back up a second. There's quite a lot we've already discussed. So like the, to answer your direct question, do I think it's going to be worth more? Yeah, long, long term, potentially it's going to be worth more. But also in the short term, I thought through the psychology, right? Like there's basically 100,000 people or a few hundred thousand people that have registered these .eth names. A lot of them, you know, $10,000 is a lot of money for anyone, right? But for a lot of people, that's like, you know, game changing money. Right. So if you just airdrop 10 grand worth of tokens and you have the ability to sell them, I just assume that, you know, some of those people are going to sell it. Right. Like in the in the short is term, is it immediately liquid? You could sell well, it today if you want to. You can let you you can technically. Yeah. It, in the first day, it was quite hard to do it because obviously the liquidity of the market wasn't there yet, really, because it's a decentralized exchange. It's not like Coinbase where Coinbase is like backing it themselves. This is someone needs to be on the other side of the trade. So, um and yeah, so yeah, I just, I can just share what I did. I sold a little bit of mine just to hedge my bets. And then I've kept uh, a, a bunch of it. Well, I didn't sell it. I like changed it to ETH, right? So yeah, um, but no, if, if that's equivalent of being Fiat fan, man. That's Fiat Bilal, just a <laughs> no, non-believer. No, no. no, that was a, that was like a looking at the market. I'm like, okay, how many people are going to sell this? This might just crash tomorrow. And let me just at least... You know, make it worthwhile and be do the responsible thing essentially. Like no, I don't no, mind you, holding it. You have forever, the house's so. money. You have the house's money exactly. now. Exactly. And then the rest I'm gonna like hold on to it because I think it's quite cool. And the other thing to mention, this wasn't necessarily made for speculation. This is what they describe it as anyway. Obviously, anything in crypto is speculation. Um, this is like a governance token, I think they said. Right. Though again, my technical understanding of this is limited. The the by being issued these tokens or claiming these tokens, you're now part of this, you know, wider yeah. community. They describe it as a neutral protocol of the internet or an open public protocol, the same way TCP/IP is, 
or you know dns and the other things that run the internet and uh, you know I've, one of our favorites on the show chris dixon tweeted about this he's basically saying like imagine dns or any of these other protocols in the past just open it up to have the users actually own a part of it right or like at least get to participate in decision making so there, there's another big part of this which wasn't just about the airdrop like when you actually claim it you have to go for these like questions on like not not questions you're basically there's all these like uh terms and conditions essentially like they don't call it that and then you delegate you you basically say i want these tokens to be you like you choose a delegate or something do you know the phrase jack when you went yeah, for yeah, it? yeah you're delegating like your vote to voting a, power to someone yeah, else yeah. to exactly. somebody who's going to represent the protocol some way and they all like put together pitches as to why they should be the person to represent x number of votes and in then, the real world the equivalent is like these proxy services right which like if you're a shareholder they're going to hit you up it's like hey listen there's a vote coming up and they kind of aggregate all the votes exactly um, okay got it um i had i had one thought since this is not necessarily directly related to ens since i don't own any not investment advice uh <laughs> but uh you guys know the company verisign it's like yeah, yeah, yeah. One of the great. This is one of the true monopolies in uh in, on the internet and uh, and just in U.S. commerce. So, I'm gonna rattle off some stats about Verisign, which is insane. They're called the toll road of the internet because they have a monopoly over the .dot com registry. So we're talking about why or who has the ENS control. I I wasn't able to find it out. Maybe we should go back and talk about it next episode. But uh, or somebody way smarter than us can just get someone send on, us yeah. a message. Yeah, and uh, so this is think about how great of a business Verisign is. So they have a monopoly control on the .dot com registry. So they control that. That's a hundred and forty million people have .dot coms, and they pay eight dollars a year. Just, Insane. I mean, dude, you guys all own websites, right? What happens when you know that thing comes up? You're like, yeah, I'm gonna pay, right? Just, oh yeah, man, just like it's automatic, the right? Auto on you, yeah, it hits you, yeah. Dude, so they make a. They make a bill a year, uh, and the mar- they have a sixty percent profit margin. That's the top in the S and P five hundred. It's literally That's on nuts. cruise control, right? Uh, but of course, it's not. It's not a bulletproof company, and they've actually their stock isn't that crazy because people have already baked in all these kind of monopoly features. But like, if you go in the risk factors of the company, is like basically you, they lose a monopoly, right? That's the number one risk factors right there in their kind of like annual report. And even for their IPO perspective, they're just like, well, the organization that gives up a monopoly, which is the ICANN, which is the whatever international and whatever the naming service, they're like, yeah, we can just take away <laughs> your right to do that. Right. But it's insane. So the last thing is, uh, yeah, they do $1.4 million per employee at the company, which is just absolutely outrageous. That's mad. Just, a, just for an example, I think, uh, but that's on par with Netflix, which is number one, uh, well, like 1.7, but it's just insane, right? I think Google is doing like a mill in employee. So these guys are doing more per employee. And uh, that's why I was so interested in who's like kind of giving away these powers because, man, it's just a, the right to a money printing machine. Yeah, but the cool thing is this money is now going in this treasury. Uh, and I heard them say yeah. there's like... 48 or 50 million dollars worth of money in this treasury right like because over the years all the people that have been registering these dot eth domains and whatever else they're doing it goes in there there's all these fees and now that is where this money is being distributed from right uh it's so it's it's kind of a really honestly it's quite hard for me to wrap my head around because it's a new form of organization right like it's not like an llc 
um, and like a company where you see their accounts and like their objective is to maximize profits. In this case, their supposed objective is to maximize like the infrastructure, like the usefulness of the infrastructure, which is quite cool. And like listening to the, the people who were behind it, I was like, okay, they seem legit people, but you know, I don't know the nuts and bolts of it. But uh, yeah, Jack, what about you, man? Did you have any other thoughts on it? Like how, how it was all rolled out? I was executed incredibly well. I think like in terms of like UI of a like crypto launch is up there. And like, it really is like a utility, like utility layer of Ethereum, which is, you know, if you, I think if you believe in Ethereum as an asset, then this is a, uh, like, this is kind of a no-brainer companion to the growth of that network. And the thing that makes it like really unwieldy for most people, this is like a workaround because the like thinking about remembering those addresses, storing those addresses, know, yeah. it's like this is so intimidating. So even like um, one of the things that they're doing or one of the things that they're making possible is if you're building a um, if you build an app on Ethereum and somebody has an ENS name attached to their account, you can then display that as their username, which is such a basic feature. But one of, I think one of the like massive security um, risks is like, you know, when you're confirming a transaction on your ledger, you're like, you look at the first five digits of the address and then the last five digits and you kind of hope that the middle is yeah, correct. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And obviously the odds are with you that it's going to be the case, but if you're going to... Yeah, that's, you're a, gonna that's do, a scary moment every time. Yeah, yeah if you're going to do anything untoward, that would be the perfect way to like hide it, right? It's like, I don't even know how possible that is of like finding an address that isn't yours, but it just differs in the middle. But this is like, um, you know, when you see bz80.eth, you know that's you. So I think yeah, like, you can take it with you as well because it's like one source of truth. That's kind of what I heard them talk about too. It's not like yeah, I've got BZ80 on Twitter, but I've got BZ80212 on Instagram because it wasn't available. It's like this right. is one layer for everyone. Yeah, which doesn't feel that significant, but it is. I think like it is a really significant, different um, way to interact with the internet, and that's like before you even get into this idea of like sign in with ethereum and like wallet as your connection where you own data and you're like giving permission versus you're storing your shit on 250 databases and then every other day some like shit it breach is happening and your password is on the dark web from you know equifax or wherever else so it's like um I think people who really see the future as, you know, web login with Web3 or login with Ethereum, this is like a turbo boost on the usability of that idea. Yeah, definitely. Um, and it feels like I don't even think anybody's competing with them uh, unless you're talking about different chains or different currencies. I think there's Unstoppable Domains is one. Um, Brutal, uh, awful name, man. ENS is winning. Just, I'm putting the jack frame on this. Unstoppable <laughs> domains, ENS. Whoa, which one are you gonna do? Yeah, I think it feels like it feels like an infrastructure layer, and people trust it for that reason too. And you know, the team has given people a reason to trust it, and the network effect of it. You know, it kind of has this signal of support of the network too, which is just an interesting thing, right? Where like a dot com, you wouldn't think like, oh, those guys are like really into x because of dot com it's like 
the dot eth is a is a signal on top of the functionality too and you see it like proliferating across twitter um and i think the one thing to add uh, jack is that coinbase were also announced that they're like they're, they're one going of to be the, in the main, delegate process, right? They, exactly. They're in the delegate process. And like I think they were one of the top three voted delegates uh, when I last looked. So which is quite an interesting thing. I, I I would prefer to give it to some like individual who's, you know, like really in the in the weeds with it. But you know, if like Coinbase is involved, I don't think that's a terrible thing. Uh, it just kind of legitimizes it and obviously they can help with the infrastructure well, there you go. Well. When I was asking you guys, what's the source of authority? Obviously, this is it's not from Coinbase, but like to have Coinbase be involved in this level clearly is a sign of something or an imperator. Yeah, yeah. And like. I, I don't, I don't know, um, I don't know the technical aspects of this, but it doesn't just root funds Ethereum to Ethereum either. Like it lets you receive uh funds on all different chains all different currencies i don't know the technical aspect of that but yeah, i coinbase, think i heard them say even bitcoin and stuff yeah 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 it. so coinbase being behind that and coinbase launching like web wallets and nft exchanges and whatever else it's like the people that are building the network effects of web3 if they like are backing this format then you know that's how it's going to pro- proliferate and continue yeah. to live one last thing i will say is um this is not my idea. I read it somewhere, but you know, all these like, um, Decentralands and like metaverses that are constrained in size. So they're like, you know, there's only this many plots in Decentraland or this many plots in, uh, man, I don't know why, but not, none of the others are coming to mind at the moment, but they're essentially constrained digital real estate. This is constrained digital real estate, but in a different way. So you, you can create, and name entities in the metaverse but you're not like buying a plot of land somewhere right it's like this is a thing that represents a destination that is unique but it's not finite in supply which i think is uh like as a as a tool or as like a model for expanding how the metaverse whatever that might be interacts like if you have a standard like this that like helps things talk to each other and helps people think about it in the same way that like familiarizing people with the internet, you would say, go to this.com, right? Or pets.com, amazon.com versus like, there isn't that shortcut or hasn't been until now to interact with like crypto properties or people in, and this is like the consumer layer. So it's pretty exciting. Yeah. There's a, just to some, uh, from me, who's a, literally a total noob on everything you guys talked about, what stood out for me and what I think uh, is very helpful and maybe is Lindy in the long run for ENS is, is like you said, Jack mentioned uh, the the ease of use now, right? It's instead of all these, how many how many numbers or letters was it before? I think it's thirty two. I think it's 32. yeah, so thirty two compressed down to whatever you're an easily rememberable kind of dot eth uh, domain uh, equivalent of a domain. Um, that the other part of it, I didn't realize that it's such a good point when you brought up Zadie.eth is like the security aspect of it, right? It seems much more secure just from a, a broken human brain standpoint. Like our brains are just, they're just oh my, great in a lot of ways, but weak in a lot. And this seems to solve one of those problems. The Coinbase uh, sign-off seems super kind of, uh, uh, you know, 
just I know we don't the whole point is like you're not trying to give away the authority, but that, that seems to matter. And then the other one you just one you guys mentioned at the top, Vitalik.eth, right? I mean, the godfather has one of these addresses and that gives it kind of like who I man, what else are you gonna do, right? You're not gonna trust the dude. Right. So I think those yeah. things kind of jump out at me. Um I just want to correct this on the record. They're 42 characters long. Okay. During <laughs> I know somebody's sitting there seething right now. So yeah, yeah. Oh they're already in the comments, man. They're like yeah, they're already in amateurs. the comments. All right, I think I said perfect. 90 after you said it as well. But yeah, and then the only thing I was going to add is I completely agree with you. I think all of these are, you know, we did that big episode on Web3 inflection points. These are all the little things that help take something from raw code for a bunch of nerds like us to like your mum is using it without realizing because her tax deed or her sorry property deed is on the blockchain and they're using dns in the background without you even realizing right like because you're just seeing an interface and that was one of the things i i, I listened to kind of like their roadmap and not you know to bore you with the whole thing but the summary is they're going to be building a lot more stuff like layer two versions of this right so um you know, right now it costs quite a lot of money to register one of these things for a regular person. Even a hundred, two hundred dollars is quite a lot, right? Like a domain name costs ten dollars. So um, the reason it costs a lot is because the gas fees are high at the moment. So they're gonna build, you know, layer two integrations with whatever that might be, Arbitrum, Polygon. I don't know. Um, so that's one thing. Um, and then the, the other thing that I thought was interesting was subdomains. And that is basically, you know, on the web, you have visualizedvalue.com, but you also have shop.visualizedvalue.com, which is subdomain. And long story short, that is going to be how my mum has her property deed um, in like this, this bigger thing. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's really interesting. I definitely, long term, I'm really bullish on it, but just strictly speaking with not investment advice personally the reason i flipped some of it to eth was just because one part of any investment is the fundamentals and the other part is uh valuation right so i have no idea about the valuation is this a fair valuation or not i don't know what to base that off of so i'm like okay i've got a bunch of free money essentially let me like take a little bit off the table um but yeah if you do own one of those 100 you should go and claim that you've got until i think may 22 um 2022 but um i think a lot of it has already been distributed so i would definitely like check it out and, and claim that if you can uh i just want to correct Bilal that he said that he took some off the table no he paper handed it yeah. but anyways. <laughs> <laughs> noodle right. hands yeah. what's next what's next boys um, so i think we were going to talk about elon musk right so yeah anything All else right. on that really quickly before we uh finish off jack i think you brought something up that was great and like a maybe a good encapsulation of it is like that in the early days of the internet, you know, people using it in, in universities and you're basically typing command line to find stuff. It's like type the IP or whatever it was, was going in the browser to pull up a resource. And you can't even imagine people navigating the internet with that now. So it's like yeah. Ethereum, the world computer, this is the shorthand that starts to make um, it easier to access things and just think about it in a more, human and consumer-esque um, way. So I think it was yeah, a good Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. And and uh, the other stuff is like, you know, the wallets need to be um, more user-friendly and stuff. I know there's lots of people working on that. So yeah, all right. Uh, definitely really cool. And congrats to everyone who's got one of those. You got rewarded for being an early adopter of this. 
And uh, yeah, it was definitely kind of a cool, cool thing. I think we're going to remember that. So, um, Trung, this is Fun Fat Fan Time. Let's talk about yeah. Elon Musk, man, because this has been blowing up the internet for the last okay. few weeks. He's been doing a bunch of crazy stuff with his Twitter poll. Well, why don't, why don't you just lay, lay out for us, like, what was going on with Elon Musk? He talked about selling some Tesla stock. Over to you. Okay. Thank you, Bilal. That's the perfect uh, prompt. But let's. there's pieces of the puzzle, as there always are. So the first piece Bilal talked about was and what made this mainstream and media was that last week, Elon put a Twitter poll out and he just said, uh, he referenced the cap unrealized capital gains controversy and said, you know, based on the unrealized capital gains controversy, uh, I'm going to put up a Twitter poll and I'll sell 10% of my Tesla stock. It's binding if the Twitter poll happens, right? Which would be I'll how much, Trump? Uh, he owns, uh, I, I got the number here, he owns 220 million shares of Tesla, which is mm. about two, about 200, we'll call it $220 billion, right? So he's like, I'll sell 10% of that and put it up on the poll. And we can actually do the screen share on uh, his poll here. And we might as well do the screen share because, you know, this was, uh, get the counter, you know, Trunk T fan got the old, uh, got the old uh, Elon uh, impromptu, Hold on, where's this thing? Yeah, yeah. He bounced on me. I can't even do the screen share. Doesn't matter. Okay, so he did that. So he says, I'll sell roughly 10% of my 220 million shares. Okay, so that caused the brouhaha. Uh, people were like, okay, the vote happened. 58% voted yes. So <laughs> I don't know how legally blinding Twitter is, but based on that poll, <laughs> he's supposed to sell 10% of his shares, right? But this is where it gets tricky. So the shares, uh, the real reason that he's actually selling, so that was the presumed reason on the internet and in Twitter that caused a controversy. The real reason, and he actually talked about this publicly in, in September at the Code Conference. He sat on stage with Kara Swisher and he said, I have about 20 million uh, shares of Tesla options that are coming due at the end, uh, they actually expire at the end in the next summer. And they were issued in 2012. The, the issue price was $6. <laughs> so Tesla is now like $1,100, right? So the nature of those options is uh, those are, you don't get long-term capital gains tax on that because that was not, uh, an option that was exercised 10 years ago, right? He's exercising those options now towards the end of the term. So that gets treated as ordinary income. So the tax on that is literally for, it's going to be 40 to 50%, right? So this all was going to happen. He talked about it publicly and he said, I'm going to have to sell a lot of my, I'm going to have to exercise these options and pay a massive tax bill. And the reason, there's two reasons why he wants to do this year. One reason is it's almost certain that taxes will go up next year. The drumbeat is so high right now from government to raise taxes. So he's like, even though the options uh, they expire next year, he's like, let's just get it in this year so I can pay lower taxes. That's part of it, right? And people will be like, oh, tax avoidance. It's like, who here doesn't want to lower their tax bill, right? Like, And the amount here is very material, right? We're talking billions of dollars. So he... Ran the poll, but the reality is this. He knew he was going to sell, but there's a little nuance here. So 
before that code conference, that was late September, he actually initiated an automatic selling uh, uh, exercise and sale of his Tesla stock. He did this in the middle of September. So this is what actually people are getting really pissed about because forms just came out and it's showing that in mid-September, he knew he was going to sell in November. And they're like, oh my God, this Twitter pool is such a farce, right? But there's, okay, there's two parts of this. That is one take. I, I can see that. That take does seem valid. And am I a little bit biased? I'm a little bit biased. I'm a little bit on the Elon camp. So there's two parts of it. The first part is Elon, obviously, as we talked about, is just a freaking PR genius, right? So when you guys saw that poll, what was your first instinct? What was your first instinct? Is this like, this has to be some type of ploy? Or was it like, oh, this guy's just totally off his rocker? No, I just think like he knows the outcome. That was the first thing. I, like yeah. he knows that the poll's going <laughs> right. to come out as yes. Yeah. So he must have a reason for asking. That's okay. all I thought. Yeah. Okay, yeah. that was your, what about you? I thought Bob? the same. Yeah, I thought like he's not doing this just for jokes. Like he's, I mean, he's probably obviously having fun with it as well. But I feel like he already decided, he's already decided. Right. And this is like, this will give him the easy yes to be like, oh, well, I asked the internet and they said yes. And if it, if they said no, he would be like, oh, sorry, I had to do it anyway. I already filed for this or whatever. So um, either way, he's Dude, got like a win right? So even, so like, that's the other part of it is like, well, the other thing about his pre-filing is you can cancel that. That's not set in stone, right? Like the thing he did in September. So technically, if the Twitter poll had said no, he actually could have canceled. We That's an alternative universe. We do not know. So there is that 10D chess part of it, right? People, like the, the Elon haters will be like, oh, look at all of Elon's backers. They're going to think this is a genius PR move. But I mean, like, I'm sorry, it is a genius PR move. It's all anybody talked about for that first day was like, oh, Elon's taking the mantle of I'm going to pay this unrealized capital gains tax thing, right? He's like, I'm going to get ahead of it. So even though you, me and Jack are sitting here talking about the real reasons behind it, what percentage of the world and investors and people that actually understand what's going on are teasing through and looking at the layers of the onion, right? So he framed the story exactly how he wanted it framed. And But here's the, here's the other part of it. There's a hilarious. So if he had just set this thing uh, and automatic, which he did in September, it was going to happen no matter what, right? And he could have stopped it, but let's just assume it was just going to happen. If he had done nothing, if he hadn't put that Twitter poll up, it wouldn't have caused this uproar, which actually ultimately led to a sell-off on the Monday and the Tuesday. So here's a here's a funny part. He costed himself like $50 million. Like if he had just sold on schedule, like automatic, and then on Tuesday, CNBC reported, oh, Elon sold his shares, but this was decided uh, in forms two yeah, months the, ago. Yeah, the dump order happened after, yeah. right? Like, yeah. Yeah, so he... He ate, like he literally costed himself $50 million for like a Twitter joke. But then, so there's those parts of it. And obviously 50 million is not the material to him. The other part, which is actually, people are deciding how sketchy it is, but his brother board member also, Kimball Musk, he sold about $100 million worth of Tesla shares. And he, so the- the, uh, the Did he do the that before the poll? Yeah, I did it before the poll. So the uproar is like, the optics of that are awful, by the yeah, way. Right? They look terrible. It's like, uh, you know, if you're going to run the poll, it's going to tank the stock, right? But what's funny is that Elon costed himself money on the pre-schedule thing. But then his brother's like, dude, you're out of your rock. Or like, like 
you I'm selling shares before you do this, right? And he said he has so much. I think he sold 20% of his stake. So I mean, Kimball's a billionaire just from Tesla stock, right? I mean, that's the other thing I also that's not great. And I'll I'll be straight. It's like, man, it's nep- it's like nepotism, right? It's like your brother's on the board. Um that seems a little off, right? That's yeah, that's so, is that not gonna get question. him in trouble or like well, this is what people are debating is like, is that insider trading? Is that material non because they're actually asking this? This is legally. Can you act like, are you is because a poll wasn't done yet, right? Elon is like, it's actually very tricky what they're going to try to prove. What Elon told you on Thursday, hey, I'm thinking about doing a Twitter poll on Saturday. Uh, Like, is that insider trading? Like that, that's the question that's being asked now, right? And actually, Trunk, so while you're saying that, here's, I've actually got the SEC um, thing up here right now. I'm just going to share my screen. So this is, can you guys see that? SEC form four. like you can see the dates here, Musk, Elon. Uh, I don't know. The the post said something about uh, September the fourteenth or something. But it says here date of earliest transaction eleven oh eight. I don't know if I'm if I'm misunderstanding what this is, but like was that something that was filed way before in September, like that? Yeah, thing it, I just it's said? called their Rule Ten B Five One. This is so like uh, guys like Zuckerberg, Bezos, executives can just put. Uh, share sales on a schedule because you know they'll always have material non-public information right they'll always know what's going on so like if every time they sold people had to decide hey what was the real motive behind selling that's going to cause a lot of legal problems however if you just set this rule 10b51 you file it right exactly like well that's what zuck does it's like oh that's what bezos does too it's like i want you to sell a billion dollars with amazon shares every month it doesn't matter what news is happening i'm already signing this right so it's, it protects them legally so elon did that in september and uh, again just to summarize elon had choreographed on stage and it was spread to millions of people that he was going to sell sometime later in the year because of he had options that were going to expire right he, it was this is not news that he was going to do this what what is now being asked though is like will he abide by the te- is he going to sell sell ten percent of Tesla now and like because does he what's he done so far like one he uh, sold about uh, a two, billion dollars oh. five billion total so this is this is also the other part of it one billion is from the ex- the options exercise which is what he talked about which kind of compelled him to do this but also sold four billion separately from just his initial from his stash like the the existing stash he has so people are like trying to tease out is like okay like how much of this is from because you had to do it and how much of it is like him maybe honoring this twitter poll <laughs> so like there's this whole like back and forth going on but I, my guess of what's going to happen is that from here to the end of the year he's going to sell just yeah about 24 billion worth of tesla stock he's gonna have to pay half of that in uh taxes and uh, the pool is just going to, like everything else, people will forget about it and move it away. The real question, the truly sketchy thing is that Kimball must... Yeah, that seems a little off to me. My, I, I, well, I guess like for them, is like I, don't, I actually don't think they can get legally pinged on that because it wasn't like corporate insider information. And it's, yeah, like, it's not like he knew that the numbers weren't going to hit for the earnings. Yeah, exactly, right? It's like, it's like and Elon's already has just so twisted like the best practices of like Twitter, right? Like what is even right or wrong, like in terms of the SEC now, right? Like, are they going to be like, hey, you can't tell your brother that you're going to do a Twitter poll? Like, is that literally in the purview of the SEC? No, I'm like, I'm serious, right? So I yeah, think these are the crazy. questions that are being brought. And uh, and that's kind of the overview though. 
the reason why he did it versus the Twitter poll hype and then why people are really upset. So the reason real the real reason this was instigated is he had options to exercise about $20 billion worth that he wants to do between now and well, presumably the end of the year. So he doesn't get whacked by next year's tax raise. The Twitter poll, which people are now saying was a total sham, but we'll see whether or not he ends up selling 10% because 10% would be more than the options exercise necessary. And then his brother, which admittedly, does not look great. Yeah. So do you think, and I don't know a lot about this, but has he sold significant amounts before? No, he like time? he does the move that we talked about. He borrows against it. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah, yeah. It's, so what, uh, what do you think is different? This time, apart from the options part where he it was going to expire. What, what do you I, think? I might honestly be... think that I think that's the. I think that I mean I think he, the fact that he had to sell just to meet this tax obligation because the thing is as well just well, do it two in options, one right? swoop. Yeah. Well, the other option was to not exercise the options, but then he'd be leaving about ten billion on the table. Again, he, that's his right to do, and that's a fraction yeah, of his that net worth, ridiculous. right? Yeah, yeah, that would be ridiculous. Be so he's going to exercise twenty-four billion worth, but he's going to have to pay half of it. And people are saying, "Oh, you could have just borrowed against your thing to like pay down the taxes." I'm like, "Man, dude, you, you don't want to like just pay down with the options exercise, right?" And yeah, so that was that so was the reason, in my opinion. Jack, um, what do you reckon, mate? Anything? Uh, what, what do you think he's? What do you think he's up to? I was going to ask the same question you just did, Bilal. And then, like, my other question is like, what's he going to spend it on? Doesn't he live in a? Doesn't he live in a little steel box in uh, in um, Dogecoin, mate? Definitely. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there was some speculation that there's some like new. Oh, like, actually, dude, to answer Jack's Dogecoin. question, he's. I think he. I think he bought some more Tesla stock. Like he. Oh, really? Like he's net up right now in Tesla stock after everything. Well, now that's uh, get, that's getting. Uh, that's getting that spicy, is, isn't it? Yeah, well, I mean, the, the thing with well, the thing he says, right? It's like I'm. He's like he said it a number of times. Like, I'm first in, I'm last out, and like you can't really deny that this is what the guy does, right? Like he really is all in on his two, and like he's all in. And my guess is he's going to end up buying more of Tesla stock. To be honest, like yeah, I, I just imagine he doesn't have like I just don't imagine him like having a you know American Express. Be like, oh, let's go down yeah. to Rodeo Drive and buy yeah, some like, gear. Yeah. He ain't doing that. He ain't buying cars or anything. He just lives on the base, doesn't he? He lives on the base. and I mean, we don't know how, like, yeah. I, the dude's working 20 hours a day, yeah, right? Like, yeah, that's just yeah, the reality. Yeah. I've been sitting on this uh, video uh, gif slash uh, meme. One second, one second. Let me, share, let me share it first. One second. Can, can you see that? All right. <laughs> it's so much funnier when it goes. All right. So I've been sitting on this video for age actually blah click black can you hit the back on that go just back. so we get the the elon reply there yeah oh Dude, there so we go <laughs> i typed uh when the pull hit I, I pulled up this video and for the listeners it's uh it's a dude with three smartphones in front of his face <laughs> and the original purpose of the of the video was him like swiping right on like girls on tinder but it just looks like him swiping fiercely on three phones so and good. i just wrote janet yelling using all her burners to vote yes on elon musk should i sell 10 percent of tesla poll i actually i actually had a feeling Listen, it was just of the moment it took over that day. And like, sure enough, like 30 minutes later, Elon gives a double crying eye faces on it. And I'm like, oh, man. I mean, by this point, it's not even a new thing, man. You, you yeah, two, I'm surprised you didn't like, get him to come on the pod for this, uh, to get I'm, his, listen, to get I, his I'm opinion. Gonna, I'm going to speak into existence. There's a non-zero chance. I mean, you guys That's tell me true. what you believe. I 100%. think, dude, he ain't going on. He, he ain't trying to go to traditional media, man. He wants to go to the pirate ships. <laughs> yes, we're definitely that. 
right, um, so that's anything else. On anything that. else on Elon, man? I, I think it's really interesting. I think the only question I had, probably for you, Trung, is, you know, like zooming outside of Elon Musk when CEOs sell stock, like that's always a noteworthy thing. It doesn't always mean it's a bad thing, right? Like they're, you know, humans like anyone else, they want to sell and diversify. Like a lot of these guys are 98% of their net worth is in one company. And um, so like, I'm curious, like, have there been any other high profile cases where, like, how does this compare to other cases where CEOs of that stature a selling stuff is this that unique or is it i mean this is i mean it happens most people do it happens all i mean it definitely happens a lot like zuckerberg's on a schedule reed hastings on a schedule bezos is on a schedule the last one at this level is probably when bezos started selling in 2017 a bill uh, a billion dollars of amazon a year just to fund blue origin i think that level and also uh, uh adam aaron the ceo of amc announced this week he's selling amc stock there's a bit of uproar but he's like, guys, I told you this a long time ago. And uh, his whole point is like, you know, uh, Bilal, to your point, is like, I got to diversify elsewhere, right? It's like, I'm also a dude. It's like, I don't he's think I've seen it. GameStop. Yeah, he's going to buy GameStop. <laughs> I don't think I've seen, uh, I don't think I've ever seen anything of uh, this uproar, right? It's just because uh, the level is just next. It's just Yeah, this level. is the richest guy in the world. Or, Actually, the the other one uh, that was uh, off the top of my head was when Travis Kalanick totally went out of Uber. Mm. So when he just, when they kicked him out, but he was still the largest shareholder and he's like, F you guys, sell it all down and go all in on his next thing. Like that was the one where I remember I'm like, oh, that's like, you know, he's respect. Going ham. That's a yeah. killer yeah, move, man, yeah. Definitely. No, it's interesting, man. I think the... It will be interesting to see, like next year, like the first six months. Like, I wonder if there if there was something. Let's just play the scenario out. Like, say there was something with Tesla. Like they, you know, they've been on this crazy tear, obviously, for several yeah. years. And say there was something significant that was wrong or didn't work out, and they got hit beyond just this part. Because obviously, it's, p- people are seeing this as a negative signal, or like the price went down a little bit because of this. Uh, in the short term, I don't know what the price is today. Um, but it'll be interesting to see like if they miss their numbers for like shipping whatever yeah. next car or the trucks or whatever. I don't follow it that closely. Um, will people be right. like, oh, this guy knew and he's like, you know, diversifying while, while If there was could. like a massive like manufacturing time bomb basically that he knew about over time. But even then, man, like, yeah, I, I to your point, that would be the one where like, okay, this is bad. But like, dude, does this guy strike you as the type of guy that's like when he sees a manufacturing time bomb? his way to deal with it is to sell 10% yeah, of his Tesla holding. Not, it's like, that's not, not what this guy, it's the, 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 that's not what he's about, man. He's going to go down with the ship. Yeah, 100%. Actually, and, and last question on Tesla for you two is like, obviously Tesla's done really well for the last, you know, what, seven, eight years or however long it's been running for. Um, I'm curious on your take on Tesla stock. Obviously not investment advice, but just... Like I, I sent you guys a screenshot. I'm in this um, investing group on WhatsApp, like with a few random friends. I actually don't know most of these people, but like one guy was like, how do I short Tesla stock? And then he was also asking how to buy gold. So I was like, okay, this guy is my sort of guy. <laughs> <laughs> and he's also like, hey, listen, I was just on uh, Alex Jones's website. They sold out of the uh, end of the world kits. Uh, do you guys know any manufacturers? Exactly. No, but I'm just curious, like, do you think it's their valuation has been justified slash uh, do you think it's gonna? I think keep we have to come back to this level? next episode. Okay. I'll tell you why. Uh, uh, Chris Bloomstrand, who does uh, is a, a hedge fund manager, had an insane thread breaking down 
Tesla's valuation and comparing mm. it to Amazon and Google and basically saying, okay, so when Google was at $1.3 trillion or when Amazon was at $1 trillion, this is how much money they were making, right? This is how fast they're growing. This is their profitability. And it's just like, whew, when you frame it like that, man, it does not look, uh, it looks like uh, Tesla's valuation is very full right now and they're going to have yeah. to execute insanely well to justify and it's it. different I mean, between like selling physical and i know they're doing a lot more than just physical cars and they're going to be doing a lot of other stuff yeah. in the future well but that's just the dream right that's I mean, compared that's, to that's google search which is 90 the greatest money machine ever apart from like paying apple some money for their search engine stuff on their phone jack you got a thought there mate what are you thinking nothing uh Nothing I can say quickly. I think the idea of like the interoperability of the networks that they're building, like the power network and like, I don't know if this would be like plug and play with a, a Starlink and all of the like next gen, like partner companies. That feels like what you're hanging, like a massive yeah. valuation on, yeah. which is, you know, which is all... Um, the amount of execution hopefully going to come together but it's crazy exactly. yeah, the amount the amount that has to come off for that but also it is like you know like no company i've seen in my lifetime just in terms of like from a standing start in your lifetime turning into like a household name it's, and building cars in america it's, just, it's crazy in an industry that like is not easy to just break into right it's not like hey here's an app and a billion yeah. people downloaded it this is <laughs> you know like not just tesla but spacex even more so yes. oh, is another one it's like all of them in literally two of the hardest industries other than like oil and gas right it's like what else like atoms with their hands that you have to manipulate the physical world with and this is a man like would the people say like oh my god he's just such a charlatan and like he's just all he is is a salesman like dude guys guys do you have any idea how difficult like the like technically difficult he's trying to accomplish this and how far it's gone this isn't to say it's a done deal like jack said right like the real what you're paying for is just insane vision but like the idea that he hasn't accomplished and his team and everybody's work hasn't accomplished so much at this point. It's just, it's outrageous, man. Dude, they fucking landed a rocket that went to space on like a, a 10 by 10 pad in the middle of the ocean, right? Like this is not child's play. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, it's just, it's just like, a, I think it's just a different beast. It's like people are, people are valuing it differently because it's like a totally different animal. Like they're not talking in quarters or years really. So... All right. Crazy, uh, it's a pleasure to watch it, though. Yeah, incredible. Yeah, and also seeing it play live on Twitter is pretty fun as well. So, all right, boys, let's move on to the last topic. We've got the genius of Costco. Um, before we go into the genius of Costco and their business model and how it's a crazy business, we must bring up that Jack Butcher is a massive fan of Costco. <laughs> and it, so when Jack and I first did our first interview a long time ago on Creator Lab, we texted a few times and I don't know how it came up, but like you sent a picture from Costco and I'm like, what is this? And it was maybe because you're buying like a bunch of steaks or something, I don't know. But I just realized back then I was like, oh, this guy loves Costco. And, and I don't know if it's like a joke or... That's <laughs> no, not or a joke, no, it's, it's very serious. You love a franchise, as you said. I love Dude, Costco, Jack, man. please walk us through why you love Costco yeah, what, so much. What do you love and, about Costco? And how much does Celia 
share this affinity that you have for Costco? I say if I'm a ten, she's probably a seven or an eight. Okay, okay. I'll, okay. I'll confirm it next week, but I'm pretty okay. sure she lags it by twenty percent or so. Uh, no, so I, we lived in New York for ten years, and then when we moved to Nashville for a year, was like I was like Mecca, man. Like you, you, Bilal, you know what it's like getting getting food in New York. Like you go to the you get yeah. on the subway, you go to the shop, you you know you get three or four shop bags down the stairs, up the stairs. You know, it's raining. Rest. The paper, the paper bag collapses and smashes on the floor. You get <laughs> like enough. Have you been to Trader to... Joe's in New York? Trader yeah, yeah, Joe's. Yeah. You literally walk in. Trunk. Have they got Trader Joe's in Canada as well? No, they were. I also but, did a big thing about them, but they have one. I lived in Boston. I oh yeah, Trader Joe's all the time. So Trader Joe's, obviously, like for New York, is really popular because it's actually well priced for New York. But you walk in the door, no joke. There's already a line as you walk in. Yeah, it yeah, like yeah, wraps yeah. around the store. It's crazy. It's just Someone with a flag, yeah, right, <laughs> showing you where to get on on the line. That's <laughs> like a dinner alley, like a <laughs> yeah. traffic warden. It's or like a, the tour. Have you ever seen those tour groups, like the Chinese tour groups? Exactly, yeah, like, yeah, like yeah. forty. Ch- hey. <laughs> so back back to costco so you just loved like yeah it was a contrast from what you oh my god complete contrast yeah so it was like costco was sort of fantasized in uh in the uk man these i i think they even got costco's in the uk oh they have i used to go as a kid yeah edmonton or enfield or something i never went when i lived there but uh, like 72 croissants (laughs) yes so this house we moved into in nashville had a uh, barbecue on the roof so I was like, I gotta go get some I gotta go get some meat. So I went down to Costco and it's like Bro, the meat section at Costco there. is just it, it's unreal, man. It's unfast. Here's the thing, dude. If you you if you want to buy from Costco, you have to have a second fridge and a second freezer. This yeah, is yeah, what yeah. so my wife and I do not. So like we stopped going to Costco because every time we came back, there's just nowhere to put the food. It's just like you get, like you said, you hit the meat section, but then you go to the frozen food section. Oh my goodness, the frozen food section, dude. Yeah, I it's just I'm not really sure. Yeah, I'm not sure how they do it. It's like, um, but well, we're about out, to like, find out, out, out in a second. Yeah, yeah, Great yeah. segue. <laughs> <laughs> I go in there for, like I said, oh, having a barbecue. I'll go in there. I'll get a couple pieces of steak <laughs> and some, yeah, you know, some shrimp or something. I come out with like, you know, nine hundred bucks worth of stuff. A, a vacuum cleaner, <laughs> pens, you know, some like device that nobody's ever seen before. Toothbrush, like electric toothbrushes. Just walking around, I can't resist it. It's just Bro, unreal. And you can't big. use a credit card in there either, can you? It's all, oh, no, they, yeah. they had a relationship with uh, Visa or MasterCard that they stopped. Oh, no, they had a relationship with one of the big credit card vendors and they cut it and uh, because of the fee. And it was just, it was a really big news actually, because I think whatever that relationship was, was like a very mature percentage of this, this, uh, uh, credit card company's revenue. Right. Uh, so Which makes sense. Yeah. You still have that buying habit without the like convenience the ease, yeah. of a credit card, totally. which is crazy. That's mad. Anyway, unload on us, Trung. How do they do yeah, it? Yeah. So Trung, let's okay. get, get, let's, we just explain the individual love for Costco, but like, from a business point of view, I remember reading a little bit about this as well. Just like break it down, man. What's so special about this? Okay. So Costco is the world's third largest retailer behind Amazon and Walmart. It does $190 billion a year. And most people are probably familiar with their business model. They have these giant warehouses, mostly in suburban areas, uh, because, you know, that's where you are not suburban, even just outside of the cities. That's where you get the space, right? So this is this is the genius of their business model. So 
for the people that are Costco members, uh, you'll you'll know this already. For the people that aren't, executive I'm about to explain. Members. Executive, I, I'm an, I, I I'm I'm gold star. I'm gold star. <laughs> so, the Costco business model: they sell everything at basically cost. Their maximum allowed markup is fifteen percent. That's the maximum, and very few of their items ever hit that point. So, I'm going to walk through the gene set. Jack touched on it with the executive member card. The absolute genius part of the business model is just getting people to be members. And here's the insane stat. They did 190 billion in revenue, okay? And 2% of that revenue was in membership fees, $4 billion. But here's where it gets crazy. Their profit, what they take home after paying everything, 80% 80% comes from the membership fee because the membership fee costs nothing to run essentially, right? And they're selling the rest of store costs. So think about that again. 190 billion in revenue total. 4 billion comes from memberships, but the memberships make up basically four out of the 5 billion in profit. So it goes straight to the bottom That's line. Wild. Just So it's insane, right? That's their business model. And this is, but this is where it's like to keep people with that membership, and the churn at Costco is extremely low. I think the renewal rate is like 95%, something crazy, right? And the way they keep that renewal rate high is they have to convince you. And like Jack just said, he went in to buy some steak to walk out with $900 worth of stuff. They have to convince you that membership's worth it. And the way they do it is it's all about value, right? So everything about the store and the warehouse is to communicate this idea. I'm getting such good value for this membership. I would be stupid to not have it, right? So here, and it, it literally starts. So the founder of Costco's name is Jim Senegal. He spoke to Jeff Bezos, and this is a famous, very famous interaction because they're both from the Seattle area. Costco's based from Seattle, Amazon's based in Seattle. Bezos was looking at launching Prime, which is also a subscription product. He asked Senegal about Prime, and Senegal said that the membership the membership fee is a one-time pain, but it's reinforced the, the, the concept of value every single time anything's purchased from Costco. You go inside and you see a TV that's $200 less than competitor. You're like, oh my God, such a good deal. How could I ever not have the membership, right? So I'm going to start rattling off some stuff that I think Jack's going to have a good laugh here because it's very visual how they set it up, right? So again, the membership is the business model. And the psychological edge it does is called the sunk cost fallacy. Once you put money down for a membership, you guys probably experienced this. If you pay for membership, you want to quote unquote, get your money's worth now, right? Yeah. I'm back We know all about that, bro. (laughs) You know all about it, right? (laughs) It's like you get people invested, but like once you pay the membership, you should actually stop thinking about it because like the money's gone, right? But it doesn't matter. That's not how the human brain works. So you roll into Costco. What's the very first thing you see, Jack? It's TVs, right? TVs, TVs. Giant TVs. Okay. Obviously not by mistake. Two reasons why you see the TVs first. Because they have huge markdowns on TVs and you'll notice a markdown on a TV more than you will on a piece of fruit, right? So if they're selling a piece of fruit for 90 cents versus Safeway at a dollar, you're like, oh, it doesn't matter. If they're selling a TV for $200 less than a competitor, you'd be like, oh my God, value. So everything now is about value. So that's the first part. The second part of putting TVs first is this. That's one of the highest ticket items in the store. So everything else in the store is going to look cheap by price anchoring. Right? So genius move, genius move. What does a warehouse look like? They have 800 warehouses in the world. Do the warehouses look 
fancy or do they look like total shit and like where pirates drop stuff off, right? It's like concrete flooring, exposed beams. It looks like a freaking factory. People are driving around with forklifts. And again, all of this is to communicate the idea of we're not wasting money to make this place look nice. It is bare bones passing everything on to you. Well, I have a question. When you leave Costco, what do you use to pack your groceries in? Is it shopping bags? Or what the do you old use? Boxes, yeah. You use the old boxes. And that's, again, that's just like you saying, <laughs> oh my God, they're recycling stuff. Value. Oh, it doesn't, it doesn't end, bro. So there's next one. There's, there's a concept in retail called stack them high, watch them fly. Have you heard this? It's uh, a British concept actually. Just like but literally stack them to the rafters. Is yeah. that a thing they were, they were yeah, calling? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. You stack them to the rafters and uh, there's there's an evolutionary part and the kind of a, a more kind of retail part. The evolutionary part is when you, you know, there's, there's a scarcity mindset, right? And like you kind of, if there's, doesn't look like there's a lot, you kind of feel like kind of closed in. Everything's out there. There's abundance. There's like, hey, I'll take one for me, one for you. I'm not going to, I'm not stealing from anybody else, right? There's just so much here. I'm just going to take some for myself. And, um, they describe it as this is very well known. If you ever go to discount stores, what do you see? Things are just stacked. People want to get rid of the inventory, right? So that's part. That's the psychology right there. Let me knock off a few more, which are just absolutely hilarious. Um, they have their signature line, Kirkland, which I'm sure Jack's a fan of. Bilal, Jack, love, are you guys love, fan love. of Kirkland? I got some, I got some Kirkland uh, jogging bottoms, I think. Socks, <laughs> buddy. All the products, right? Here's the insane thing. They go to the same manufacturers of the brands and they'll just be like, hey, listen, if you want to stock inventory at Costco, you you your product that you're going to make for us has to be 1% better than your existing product at a minimum. They're like, we will pick the metric that's on. So for the socks, they'll probably be like, we want these socks to be 1% more sweat absorbent, like something like that. And it's just, A, it, it raises the perception of Kirkland, which by the way, does a third of Costco's revenue. I want you to think about that. They do 40 to 50 billion a year just on their white label brand. And it's because a white label brand is so good. You know, I forgot they even do food, but they do food. <laughs> they do food. Dude, Kirkland, they do- Kirkland yeah. chocolate raisins, boys. Oh, unreal, right? Outrageous. Dude, they probably went to the original, right. they probably went to Kellogg and been like, yeah, you're going to manufacture this for us and ask me 1% better. I want 1% more raisin in there. They're probably <laughs> and- like 25% better. And, and Jack, exactly. And this is what Jack will love. The reason why the manufacturers accept it, distribution. They will take the distribution, right? Yeah, you know what? I saw there's a deal in that. you guys know Vital Proteins? Have you heard of that company? No. Yeah, they I've do like collagen. Some, yeah, yeah. I think I've got, I think I just had it an hour ago, actually. <laughs> yeah, blue and white. Uh, it's like a blue yeah, and like white thing, the, thing the, the, the flavorless thing. one. And Costco exclusively stocks the chocolate version of that uh, collagen powder and i think that would be like it's kind of hard to fathom that that would be um you know make sense for them to do that exclusively but that gives you a like a sense of the scale of guaranteed distribution right yeah yeah Yeah, it's guaranteed so i'll just knock up a couple more just i I, we're all laughing i think it's funny because everybody when you hear you're like oh it makes sense right the other thing is man if you're a giant warehouse and you all you have these pallets that just stack items you're going to have very many fewer SKUs, right? So they only have 3,000 SKUs, uh, pieces of inventory. Walmart has 40,000 SKUs. Wow. So, I mean, when when That's you roll wild. into... 
Sorry, say like a 3,000 versus 40,000. Yeah, so they have 3,000 SKUs and then Walmart will have like 30 to 40,000. So 10% of the SKUs. So this is the beauty. It's like when Jack goes in and he sees one vacuum and it's on sale, there's no paradox of choice where there's like, oh, 10 vacuums, I don't want to deal with this. It's like, oh, look, there's one vacuum in the entire Costco store and they marked it down 20%. There's, I'm, I might just grab it. It sounds like a great deal. I don't even know if I need it, but that's the beauty of it. It's like you take away you know, the friction of decision-making. It's just, there it is, right? And they do this across the items. Who's doing this online, would you say? Who's the closest to this? Because like, I'm thinking of like Thrive Market, which is not the same, but they, I remember speaking to them once upon a time and they said they're like Costco meets Whole Foods or something, like healthy, good quality food with dietary uh, specific stuff. But there's like the membership fee and you're going to get a discount. But is there anyone that's really it's a true really, competitor? It's the Amazon part because the, 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 the skew part is different, right? Because it's yeah. like, you can have infinite skew online. Online, But like yeah. Amazon... Really, I think I, I think Amazon's the best model just in the sense of how they lock you in. And like, if you remember, you spend so much more. But I think the what you just said there about the paradox of choice is like obviously the opposite on Amazon. You get too many choices. Right. So and they've tried like, to account for that with like Amazon's pick or whatever, or like exactly. the number one rated one. But like, honestly, if there was uh, something like this online that just took away the decisions for me to make, like, and it was oh, that price. Yeah. You know, would, Italic. Yeah, you I was going to say Italic for clothes, actually. Well, actually, now oh, they've yeah. gone oh, beyond oh, clothes, yeah. Home goods and stuff. They've got they, home goods, doing, too. When we moved house, we bought a bunch of stuff. Yeah, they do, I, I think they changed their model recently, but they went directly to the factories of, you know, I oh, think they oh, started the with clothes. Looks. And they'll say, you know, this place makes Prada wallets, but we're just going to do a black and brown yeah. leather wallet by the same manufacturer as Prada, That's and it's going to be 30 or 40% of the price. They're doing gym equipment. They're doing like shoes, all sorts of stuff. We bought a bunch of stuff from them. I think they actually changed their model now. I don't know. Yeah, if they it's, just changed uh, it recently. Opened it up. I saw their they post. opened it up. Yeah. Yeah. Great business, though. Seems like great business. You gotta get that recurring, that sweet, sweet recurring revenue, right? Well, this next one you'll laugh is uh, they made their shopping carts bigger because visually, yeah, if there's empty yeah. space, you fill it up. Dude, That's it's not even the shopping carts, bro. Have you ever rolled out of Costco with the orange palette? That's when you know you're a boss. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. No, Bro, what's the orange palette? It's like the cart. It's oh, like oh, the, the cart. cart. Yeah, yeah. Got it, got it. It's like a B&Q, like a Home, oh, yeah, home yeah, Depot yeah, the huge thing. Ones. Yeah. Yeah, Gets yeah. you to spend more money. Uh, the store layout is like anything else. They put dairy and meat in the back, so you have to walk through and see everything. Mm, uh, but here, you guys, will, you guys will recognize this. All the discounted stuff that they want to push is in the middle. It's called Action Alley. And like the way Costco's built is like a horseshoe, right? It's a horse track. So you have the, the, the stacking shelves on the side, but the middle, when you walk through, you see everything. It's very smart how they do it. You at see eye everything. Level. Is it yeah, at eye level. So that you're more likely to buy it? Is that what No, it is? just so like, it's so you see everything. Yeah, exactly. And then so you can start picking at it. Um, they That's rotate amazing. goods. They don't have signs. They don't have signs at Costco. It's because they don't. They want you to run around like a little chicken to find out where it is. They, they call it. They call the uh, the staples. They call them triggers. So you know, light bulbs, batteries, paper towels. They're always moving them around the store. It's devious, man. So it's like you roll in a Costco. It won't be where it was six months ago. You have to go around, walk around, and find it. And like Jack, you can go buy a freaking vacuum for no reason. That's mm. hilarious. All right, so it's all making sense. You've been uh, yeah. So it's all come together, tricked, right? Jack. How do you feel? 
<laughs> it's a good it's a fair exchange of value i would say the, well there, there's a word right it. so they're making you they're making you think about value so i'll do the last two and then we can uh, put a pin on this the, the they they never had express checkout until i think because of covid and again there's a very psychological reason why you're not walking into costco they're not gonna let you walk into costco and buy one jug of milk you're not going to, you know, they're making those lines long. So you're going to make sure that you spend your time there. Oh, and you that's fill such that, a good point. Dude, how when smart I remember is going, that, I would see it and I'm like, oh, we're not coming again next week. Like, let's stock up. But you do come. Yeah, bro. Exactly, yeah. son. Let's go for it. Yeah. Dude, how smart, smart okay, is that, man? That. Incredible. And then this is this. And here it is. The nail in the coffin. Everyone knows about the buck 50 hot dog. It's been that price for 35 years. There's a famous headline. Uh, from Business Insider, it goes, Costco's founder once told the company's current CEO, if you raise the price of the fucking hot dog, I will kill you. And there's a reason why. Of course there's a reason. The hot dog and the food is the last thing you see when you leave Costco. So what do you do when you leave? You, it's seared in your mind the value of Costco because you're buying a dollar fifty hot dog. It's just yeah, amazing, so smart. So smart. You think it's IKEA, like, Nick? Yeah, I was going to say the meatballs IKEA, are IKEA, yeah. right? The, yeah, IKEA the and the meatballs, and they also have the one dollar hot dog, uh, dude. Exactly. So there it man, is, man. That's amazing. I didn't know all of that. That's a, that's incredible. Um, genius, Jack. You're a design guy. Anything else? Uh, anything <laughs> you want to comment on on Genius? Tell us about the store design. <laughs> no, one other thing I would say about design is they, it looks like they commission like one-off packaging for certain things, right? Because they do them in different scales, different sizes. Like a lot of it is kind of wasteful where they will have like, you know, say if you buy like Starbucks pods or whatever, it'll be in this like presentation pack versus the like oh, thing yeah, you yeah. get one at off. a supermarket. They're like one-off design right? things. Yeah, which I think is like, it's part of the novelty, right? It's like almost like, um, you know, supermarket sweep or some like, especially if you grew up in the UK, like, like I did, like this thing is so novelty as it is, like the shop itself. And then every oh, the single thing you- the fact that Costco's huge, you mean? Right. And then every yeah, single yeah, thing yeah. you encounter in there is like comically large as well. It's like- <laughs> Yeah, like Bro, the, the peanut butter the size of, of this. <laughs> The, yeah, the yeah. peanut butter and the dude, the cans of tuna this big. Who is buying that? It's mental. Subway, yeah, yeah. Subway yeah, is buying that. Yeah, I wonder what the split is among like uh, commercial food businesses because obviously, right, right, they're going I in mean, there. Yeah, yeah, they're definitely going in there. But then I guess you have distributors, so it's a it's a weird. You know, people have six kids or whatever. They're probably going and getting a big ass. Kind of tuna. 72 croissants, mate. <laughs> 72 croissants. Yeah, like the the pack, the quantities are bigger and the actual individual items are bigger as well. Like the muffins mm. in there, you could you choke a donkey with one of those muffins. <laughs> <laughs> or, or as Bilal said, the 75, the 75 croissants. Wait, That's actually, all I remember. That's all I remember going as a kid. And I would buy Haribo, like the sweets and sell them at school, obviously, because I was Oh my that goodness. Kid. And on eBay. No, 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 not, not the sweets on eBay, but it was, uh, you could buy it in wholesale because we couldn't leave the school. So you got to lock them in while you can, you know, but Trung, what are you going to say? I had, I had one last thought was uh, just from a very corporate standpoint. So that's all the psychological hacks that I walked through that they get like us, the customer, but like, imagine you're the CFO and CEO at Costco. You're thinking about what to open up the next store. They're actually a very, their frame of thinking is real estate. So the way they look at it is this. It costs about hundred million to open a new warehouse, and each warehouse makes about four million a year. 
and each and that four mil a year grows at about two to three percent a year. That's kind of like the rate they're at right now. So like literally everything we talked about is very micro, but if you're at the top of C uh, Costco, this is how you look at expansion. You're like, it's basically like a bond. You're like, I'm putting a hundred mil down. I'm going to 4% a year for how many X years. And then, and then you factor in how much will this real estate appreciate? It's very, it's kind of like how McDonald's like is a real estate company, right? Like we can walk through that another time, but like, so Costco in a lot of ways, is just, it's a fucking real estate company. They know their model works. They know they plunk a hundred million that they tell the people in that city and they pick the right city. They're going to make 4 million a year on that, on that uh, property. It's a freaking bond. That's such an interesting way to think about it. And that's interesting because if you compare that to like a normal real estate, you know, like purchase, if that was a real estate purchase, I don't know the numbers, but I'm assuming the real estate would only yield 2 million and this would be 4 million or something like that. And it's locked in. They know, they know what they're going to make on that. So like that gives them confidence to go out and spend their cash on buying that real estate. It's fucking fascinating, man. Now, all they need and to gas do is, is get sailored. Right? Oh, yeah. Gas is gas is the other big thing. Oh, like, yeah, yeah, sailor, yeah, yeah. You're right. Yeah. I was going to say, now they just need to listen to Sailor and just yeah. take 30% Bitcoin of their treasury and put <laughs> yeah, in Bitcoin. And, put in and then they can increase their margins finally after that ridiculous <laughs> run they've had. Um, no, that was great. Thanks, Trunk, for uh, breaking that down, mate. That's really interesting. Uh, I didn't know any of that stuff. Pretty cool um all right boys should we call it here i know uh, yeah i'm good man this was really good this was that a good was fantastic chat. i know we're normally really heavy on the web3 stuff but we still covered off on ens but these two oh, dude, elon solid, and costco bro. was nice to have in there as well um all right boys well that was fun uh jack anything else before we cut out no all right perfect well yeah thanks again for listening to the show make sure you're subscribed everywhere on apple podcast spotify youtube join our telegram group and uh, as always this is not investment advice um and we will see you next week cheers awesome thanks guys